Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. You know, the good thing about uh, having two services in the time change is, hey, if you miss the nine o'clock, you know, you can come to the 11, right? Not saying that's what anybody did. I'm just saying. Uh, hey, well, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we are continuing our series called Exiles, and today we've made our way to verses 13 through 21. And we're looking at this great letter that the Apostle Peter wrote uh, to the Christians who were scattered throughout the ancient region called Asia Minor, uh, which is present-day Turkey. Uh, and so Peter is writing to these Christians and he's encouraging them. He's emboldening them to really live out their faith as followers of this man named Jesus who claimed to be the son of God. Peter is encouraging them to live out their faith and follow him even in the midst of such uh, chaos and so much uh, information around them from other religious systems and, and a very difficult non-Christian society. Yet, Peter says, keep pressing on, keep moving forward, even though you are exiles in this world. So that's what we're looking at. And before we dive into verses 13 uh, through 21, I want to pray and ask the Lord to bless his word as we receive it today. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, again, we're so thankful that we are here for you, Lord, as we just sang, uh, you are our salvation. It is only through your name, Jesus, that we have life. And we have life abundantly because we have eternal life promised to us through you and what you've done for us on the cross and resurrection. So Lord, we pray that your word would speak to our hearts, that you would use it to transform us today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the greatest joys of my life is watching my kids grow up and learn to do just really the simple things of life. Uh, brushing their teeth. I mean, just watching them learn how to do that is so funny, right? And it's so intriguing to me. Like, they're just trying to figure it out. How exactly do you do this? Uh, but what I've realized is, over time is our kids, they basically do whatever they see us doing, which you know, it's a little scary thought, right? It's like, man, I hope I'm behaving well. I hope I'm living a good life for them to, to mimic me and imitate me. And I think that's what they do. They, they imitate us, right? So, so Harper and Barrett and Hudson, they imitate me and Christy, right? So sometimes they'll go in our closet and they'll get out my shoes and they'll put my shoes on, which are obviously 10 sizes too big for them. And they'll walk around and they'll say, hey, look, I'm dada, right? And it's the cutest thing, of course, right? You know, obviously every parent thinks everything they're child does is so cute. Um, but, you know, Hudson, he's our 14-month-old son, and, and he's kind of learning how to wave right now, except he, he kind of puts his whole arm into it. You know what I mean? He's just kind of doing a big wave like that. And I don't know who he's imitating. I don't know if I wave like that or Christy or what. Maybe we need to work on our waving. But uh, it's so, it just brings so much joy to my heart, right? Just to see them imitating us. And I can't help but think that that's the same way that God feels when he sees us, his children, imitating him. That same joy that I feel when I see my kids trying to learn and do the same things that I do. And when God, our Father in heaven, sees us, his children, his children imitating him, man, don't you know that he feels that same joy? You know, and the, the thing about that is, is that's our responsibility. He created us to do that. He created us in his image to reflect who he is. He gave us this mission 
Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth and he left the earth after he accomplished his mission, but then he handed it off to us. And he gave us this mission to live in this world even as elect exiles, God's people living in a strange and foreign society that doesn't honor the Lord, right? We live in this society, yet Jesus has given us this mission to imitate him to the world, to reflect his character, to show a lost world what his heart is really like. We have this responsibility as God's people, but it's not an easy task. And so that's what Peter's talking about in verses 13 through 21. We're going to answer this question today. How do we intentionally imitate God to a lost and dying world so that they can see him through us? How do we do that? I believe Peter gives us three things in verses 13 through 21 to really, to really see how we can accomplish this mission. Well, the first thing he tells us in verse 13 is that we have to discipline our thinking. We've got to get a grip on our thoughts. Look what he says in verse 13. Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, one thing that Christians and non-Christians alike in this world, sharing this world together, one thing we can agree on is that our thoughts are very powerful. The human mind is extremely powerful. Because here's why, you know, again, an atheist and a Christian, we can both agree on this, that our behavior is not random. And what I mean is, you do the things you do because it starts with your thoughts, right? It starts with you convincing yourself that this action is worth doing. But mentally, you have to agree to that before you actually commit the action. You know, it's been said before, you are what you think. And in many ways, that's true. You can go to Barnes & Noble or any bookstore for that matter, and you can go to the self-help section, which is usually a very large and prominent section in most bookstores today, and you can find a ton of books about thinking the right thoughts, the power of positive thinking, right? And mindfulness, that's kind of a buzzword in today's culture is mindfulness and meditation and thinking you know, positive things and just positive vibes and this kind of stuff. And, and Peter tells us that, look, I agree with secular society and that our thoughts should be intentional, absolutely. But how we go about that, right? The foundation that Peter tells us is much, much different than just the pop psychology of the day and just thinking happy thoughts while you're doing yoga and sipping on your chai latte and eating kale chips, right? No offense to anybody. But Peter says in verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Now, he says, therefore, anytime you see that word in the Bible, you have to look back and say, okay, He's building what he's about to say off of the uh, argument he just made. So what did Peter just say? Well, he just said, and we talked about this last week, that because, because we have this great hope in, and security in Christ, 
And because he has us living in this moment in time as exiles in this world for his glory on a redemptive mission, because those things are true, we must train our minds to keep the end goal of where all of this is going at the forefront of our thoughts. Look what he says. He says we must set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when Christ returns, right? So if we're going to imitate the heart and character of God to a lost world, we must always be intentional to remember and to dwell on and, yes, to meditate on why we are even here in the first place. That God created us to love Him supremely above all things and to reflect His character to this world so they can see what the invisible God is like. So they can look at us and see the heart of God through us. So we have to focus on why we're here, who we are as His people, but also Peter says, set your hope, set your minds on where all this is going. That all of this has purpose. That Jesus will return and that those that know him and love him and belong to him will live with him forever. Set your hope fully on this, Peter says. Because in this difficult world, as exiles, as Peter calls us, you know, we're going to be faced with lots of temptation to let our thoughts and our minds wander into ungodly and unbiblical patterns of thinking, right? So what I mean is it's very tempting to try to define our lives by some kind of narrative. You know what I mean? So there's some kind of storyline that you're defining your life by. There's some kind of narrative that you're picturing in your mind about yourself And Peter is telling us, listen, whatever the distraction is in your mind, whatever your heart, whatever idol your heart is driving you to away from the Lord into some kind of ungodly pattern of thinking, he's saying, no, 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 no. We must prepare our minds. We must think sober-mindedly as Christians on our redemption in Christ. That is our identity. That is the forefront of our thoughts. So in other words, in the world today, we are just too easily distracted. We're too distracted by all kinds of competing thoughts, right? So like I said, we have idols in our hearts. So so maybe an idol that you struggle with is acceptance. And so what that means is a lot of your thought life is just centered on getting other people to think highly of you and respect you and like you and accept you. And if that's the idol that you are really worshiping in your heart, then what that is doing is it is controlling your thought life. It is controlling the patterns of your thinking, which guess what? Always lead to action. And so what eventually happens down the road is you start thinking and dwelling on the fact that you need other people to approve of you. And so that leads you later on in your actions to compromise your faith and do things to get their approval that really do go against God's word and his love and his teachings. But it all starts in the heart and in our thoughts 
Peter says, no, 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 we have to discipline our thinking because here's the reality. If that's the idol you struggle with, which many of us do, what we must train our minds to do is to say, nope, no, 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 no. It's okay if somebody likes me or not, whatever, that's fine. But ultimately, God loves me and Jesus accepts me, right? God the Father accepts me because of what Jesus has done for me. I am more loved than I can ever imagine in Christ. You see, you have to train your mind to go there. We have to be quick in our thoughts to always preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves who we really are. And this is not an easy task. This is difficult. But Peter says we must prepare our minds for action. We have to train our minds to have this singular focus, the hope we have in Christ. So think of it as a filter, right? We need to just saturate our thought life with a gospel filter. So anytime you are tempted to, uh, to believe some kind of lie, and we know Satan is called the great accuser, right? So anytime he starts trying to accuse you and say some kind of lie to you that he wants you to believe, whether it be you need to wallow in self-pity uh, because you know, you're not good enough and God just doesn't like you and he's not pleased with you and he hates you. Maybe that's the lie that Satan's trying to throw at you. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe he's trying to tell you that, man, you're doing great. You don't even need the Lord because you've got a great life and you've got good money and you're, and you're, and you're comfortable and, and you just don't even need the Lord. Right? Whatever Satan is throwing at you, the great accuser, when he starts accusing we must be quick to train our thoughts to always go back to the gospel, to preach the gospel to ourselves, to meditate on the word of God and know what has actually been said and done for us. That Jesus is our identity. His righteousness has been credited to our account. God the Father is fully pleased and approves of us through Christ. And we are more loved and accepted than any person could ever accept us or love us in this world. We must discipline our thoughts and constantly go back to these truths. So, a godly disciplined thought life will lead to real behavioral change if we are looking to the right example to follow. Right? And that brings us to number two. That's what Peter's going to tell us here. We have to look to the right model. Right? So some of us, we're doing okay maybe with our thoughts, but the truth is, if you're struggling in that area, you know, look, how do you know what to think about the Lord if you're not reading about the Lord, right? So a lot of us just need to get in the Bible, right? We need to start reading the Word of God and really soaking it in and meditating on what it means instead of just a little quick daily devotional on a calendar, you know, okay, that could be inspirational to a point, but some of us need to really get in the Word of God and digest, Right? And we have to look to the model of Christ and read about him and learn about him and study about him so we can know how to discipline our thoughts and think rightly and live rightly. Peter says this, we need to look to the right model. You know, uh, a lot of, we've already talked about how, you know, kids imitate their parents, but I think even as adults, we still want role models. And many of you probably can think of a teacher or a coach uh, or maybe a, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor who, as you were growing up, you thought, man, this person uh, was just a great role model, a godly influence in my life. I'm so grateful for them. I don't know where I'd be without them. Many of us would say things like that about some 
who were older than us. But perhaps now, even you, you think, you know what? I want to be that to somebody else. I want to be a godly role model to someone else that they can look to and admire. And, that, and there's, there's good in that, right? That's good. But listen to what Peter says here in verses 14 through 16 about where we need to look. All right, listen to what he says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So the truth is, we all imitate, we all imitate whoever we're looking to as that model, as that example in our lives. But Peter says now, as obedient children, and he's not talking about actual kids, he's talking about you and me, he's talking about us, the people of God, as our Father God's children, we look to our model. Our model, our, our, our standards, our passions and desires as Jesus followers has changed. It's different than it used to be in our former ignorance, in this world system, in other words. So the big thing to see here is that there is a directional change in the way we are looking. We are looking in a different direction now. We no longer look up to just one influential person in our life, which, hey, that's good and there's the place for that. But we don't hold them to some kind of ultimate standard. We no longer look to some kind of world system of beliefs or standards of morality as our ultimate standard and model of purity and righteousness or goodness. So now we have to be on guard against letting ourselves be conformed back to any old standard because now we are looking in a different direction. We are looking at the holiness of God as our standard. And notice the word holy. The word holy is used four times in verse 15. You see, understanding the significance of that word will change your life. It really will. The word holy. Because if you had to choose one word to describe God above any other word, I think the best word is holy. Now there's other great words that absolutely describe the character, uh, characteristics and attributes of God, right? God is infinitely loving. He is infinitely gracious. He is infinitely just. He is infinitely wrathful. He is infinitely in all, he's infinite in all his attributes and characteristics, absolutely. But the one word that describes him and his uniqueness the best is holy. When we say God is holy, it means that he is separate and unique from his creation. In other words, there's no one like him. There's no one like God. So we're talking about his majesty, his greatness, but also his goodness, his moral purity, his sinless perfection. You see, Peter, when he's talking about where we need to look in the world for our standard of living, he says we must look. We must look to God's holiness. And he's quoting... Leviticus here. He's actually quoting when God told the people of Israel in Leviticus 11.45, after they left Egypt, God is speaking to the people of Israel and understanding this context is so important. Because why in the world would Peter quote this a couple thousand years later? 
So understanding the context is so important. Look at Leviticus 11.45 on the screen. It says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So the context is very important here. Think about God's relationship with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with it, it's pretty simple. God made a nation out of one man's family named Abraham. He made a nation out of them uh, for his own purposes. And what was that purpose? Because he wanted to create a society that was separate from the world in its standards of holiness, in its understanding of God. But the purpose was not just to worship God and show and and experience God. It was also to show the world, to be a light to the nations, to be a representation to the whole world as to what our God is like and what that word holy really means, that he is morally pure, that he is infinitely great and majestic. So God chose this family, which he turned into a nation over time, to be his representatives in this world, to imitate him, to show the world his heart and his character, to show the world that even though sin had corrupted the human nature, God is in the redemptive restoration business. So God delivered his people from bondage in Egypt, and he gave them this mission to reflect his heart to the world. He gave them a new standard of living, a new set of of goodness and what it means to be holy and right before the Lord. And the standard was his own moral holiness. The standard was him. Now, fast forward to the first century when Peter's writing this letter. This is after Jesus lived and died and rose from the grave and, and, and ascended into heaven. And Peter's saying now to the church, guess what? Now it's your turn. This is you. It was Israel in the Old Testament, and now it's the church in the New. It's you. You have the responsibility to go out into this world and imitate our God and show the world that he is unique and separate and holy, that he is infinitely good and loving and just and merciful. It's our mission to show the world now the holiness of God through our lives and through our conduct and everything we do. Paul said the same thing in Ephesians 5. He said, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitate your father. So one question we could ask here at this point is, okay, well, how do we really know? Like, how do we know what God is like? Again, like I said, we have to get in his word, right? We have to study the Bible, the word of God. We have to pray and ask the Lord to reveal his truth to us so that we really know and understand his heart. He's given it to us. He's told us what he's like. We have a little song we sing with our kids. How do we know what God is like? God is like, God is like. How do we know what God is like? He tells us in his word. We sing that with our kids because we want them to know that how do you know? How do you know what God is like? We can't see him with our eyes, but we can see his word that he's given us and he tells us about his heart and he shows us who he is. And so we look to Jesus, the son of God. Look at what Colossians 1.15 says. It says that he, Jesus, is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hey, if you want to know what God the Father is like, look at his son, because his son imitates his dad perfectly. Jesus said in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
And now he's given us this responsibility to imitate our Father God. And so if the world wants to see what God is like, man, they should look at you. I know that's a big burden to bear in some ways. That seems overwhelming. But as we look to and imitate Jesus, our one true model of righteousness and standard of holiness, it's not like we don't have any help. He's given us the Holy Spirit to live inside us. He's given us His Word. He's given us His life and His example to see as a model. So as we examine His life and how He treated people, how He loved the unlovable, how He displayed grace after grace, how He is so patient and kind, when we look to Him as our new standard of living, then we display the heart of God the Father and most importantly, His holiness. His holiness is our new standard. And that's what Peter's saying here in verses 14 through 16. But the author of Hebrews was on to this as well. And I want you to look at this because I think this is kind of encapsulates this whole idea really well. So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, you can look on the screen. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And think about that. Do you have any sin in your life that just feels like it's always clinging to your clothes a little bit? It's just clinging to you? And it's hard. It's a struggle. And you're trying to brush it off. You're trying to confess. You're trying to repent. And and your human nature, your sinful heart, keeps turning back to this sin. It clings. It clings so closely like a nuisance. And it seems like it won't go away. but But the author of Hebrews says, let us run. Let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. We're still looking. We're looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He died for that sin that you're struggling with so that you don't have to be a slave to it. You don't have to be in bondage to it. He died and endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Set your hope fully on the grace that is coming. So what standard of holiness are you looking to as your model? Maybe some of us are looking to the world, right? We're just looking to the world as our model of holiness and and morality. And so whatever the world says is okay is kind of just what we go with. We just kind of go with that flow. And some of us in our Christian circles and bubbles, I think what we do is we just look to each other as our standards of holiness. Well, I'm not as bad as him. He's doing a lot worse than me, so I guess I'm doing pretty good. And we compare our we compare our, our righteousness to each other, and that's just messed up because we're all messed up, and none of us deserve God's grace. Peter tells us, just like the author of Hebrews, we need to look to Jesus. God says we should be holy as He is holy, and throughout our lives, Jesus is making us more holy, but we'll never be sinless on this earth, not even close, which leads us to the third point. Right, so how, how do we intentionally imitate God to a lost world so they can see him through us? Man, let's, let's get a grip on our thoughts. Let's discipline our thinking and put that gospel filter on our minds. And as we do that, let's look to Jesus, the perfect example and model for us. But thirdly, Peter tells us, we must marvel. We've got to marvel at our redemption. Be in awe of what God has done for us. You know, if you've ever traveled out of the country or even just somewhere here in the United States, 
uh, maybe like the Grand Canyon or, or even New York City or Chicago with the great skyscrapers. You know, if you've been to Europe and some of those cathedrals, man, I, I just remember walking into one in Spain one time. It's just breathtaking. It really is. And, and you look at some of these amazing wonders of the world that really take your breath away and you just stand there kind of in awe, like how in the world did this even happen? This is so beautiful. It's so amazing. And I think that that breathtaking perspective is what we should really have here in the truth of these next few verses. These next few verses that Peter's about to to write here are, are so breathtaking. They should leave us just to marvel at God's grace. Look what he says in verses 17 and following. He says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. But did you catch that in verse 17? He says, if you call on him as father, if you call on him as father who judges impartially. You know, this is amazing. The the judge of all people. The judge of all people who have ever lived in the history of the world. The one who has the power and authority by himself alone to deal with the souls of all mankind and appoint them to their eternal destination. That judge is also your father. This holy and righteous judge is also a loving and tender father. He is both. He is infinitely both. You see, these two characteristics of God, they seem contradictory at first. They seem difficult for us to reconcile in our minds, but because on the one hand, right, you have, you, you understand, okay, well, God is this great judge and he will, will judge all people impartially or fairly, right, justly. And that should cause us to, to live in a state of reverent awe or, as Peter says, fear. And that's really what that word is getting at, fear, to live in a reverent awe. So some of us, the truth is, yeah, we should be. We should be a little fearful of the God who holds our soul in his hand. Maybe we don't think enough about the fact that he is the judge of all people and he will judge us. But at the same time, on the other hand, it is equally true that we are loved and accepted and taken care of by our Father, that we've been ransomed. He says in verse 18, that word ransom, man, that's so key to understanding the Christian faith. We've been ransomed. In other words, we've been bought with a price. Jesus paid the ultimate price to deliver us out of this world system so that we will not be exiles forever. Jesus paid the ultimate price to deliver us out of our bondage of, to sin. The feudal ways, Peter says, that we inherited, that sinful nature that's inside all of us. Jesus died to deliver us from that, from the meaningless, the meaningless of life, 
but we're living as, as slaves and to our sinful desires. Jesus was able to pay this price because Peter says he was a perfect sacrifice. Verse 19, a lamb without blemish or spot. So in other words, the, the life that we should have lived, right, the, the life that you should have lived in perfect holiness, God told, tells his people, be holy for I am holy. Right, the life we should have lived up to the standard of God's holiness in perfection, God knew we could not do that. And so he sent Jesus to do it for us. And he did. He lived the life that I should have lived. And he died the death that we should have died. You see, because Jesus lived a perfect life, he was qualified to make that payment, to pay that ransom. And so he, he died that death we should have died in our place because he knew we can't, we can't be holy. Only God is holy. So knowing what should happen to us, being judged and being condemned by a perfectly holy God, but also at the same time knowing what actually happened, and I say that intentionally with past tense, what has already happened to you, that you have already been ransomed. Man, knowing that both of those things are true, I deserve God's judgment, but I have been ransomed and I've been delivered by the grace of God. Man, shouldn't that just leave us to marvel? Just marvel at our redemption. Just to stand in awe and this reverent fear of a holy God. We stand before His judgment, yet Christ stands in our place. You see, when we think and dwell on the gospel and all the different things and the chaos of this world and the information and how people are telling you to live and what to think, when you put all of that through that gospel filter in your mind and you really start looking to Jesus and His example and His Word, and you start meditating on His truth, it'll lead you to marvel at your redemption and it'll change your life. It will. Like a child imitating his dad, just wanting to be like his dad, with joy in his heart. And may we look to our Father God the same way. Just say, I want to be like you. I just want to be like you. And I know I'm going to mess up, and I know I'm going to make mistakes. Because I do every day. But I just want to be like you. Man, may that be our prayer today. May we look to God, our Father, and His Son, Jesus, who reflects Him perfectly as our model. And may we be intentional about how we think, where we're looking, and what we marvel at. May we be intentional as we imitate God to a lost world. Kyle's going to play and we're going to have a, a time of response through song and a time of prayer. I really just 
I think we need to pray and ask the Lord to restore that healthy fear, right? That reverent awe of him in us. Maybe some of you are here today and the truth is you've, you've just diminished your view of God a little bit. Maybe you've watered down a holy God to kind of, you've created him in your image, right? You, you've just shaped him and whittled him down to something you can manage and something you can control. So maybe some of us need to start in this time of prayer with just confessing to the Lord, Lord, I am sorry, Father God, for not realizing that you are a judge of all people and that you are holy and you expect holiness from your people as we follow Jesus with your Holy Spirit in us. Maybe we need to just confess and admit that to the Lord first and ask him to help us love his holiness and train our minds to focus on the gospel. Some of us, we understand maybe the holiness of God, but we're just distracted. We're just too distracted and we're looking in so many other directions. And the truth is our minds, our minds are wandering into really unhealthy patterns. And we're letting fear and anxiety in the door of our mind and we're just, and we're just letting that control us. And it is, it's controlling you. I mean, some of you just need to repent of looking to something else and not disciplining your thoughts through that gospel filter. Man, we've got to do that. It is, not, it is not easy, and I know that. Trust me, I know. But we've got to train, and we've got to discipline ourselves and ask God, the Holy Spirit, to do that in us. So wherever you are, wherever you land at today in that regard, I think we all have something we can cry out to the Lord for right now. Would you do that with me? Lord Jesus, we just acknowledge your goodness and your greatness, your holiness. That you show us what God the Father is like. That you are God. You are our Lord and our Savior. You've redeemed us. But Lord, we struggle with our thoughts. We struggle with setting our hope fully on your grace. We struggle with preparing our minds for action. We struggle with being sober-minded because we're too easily distracted and we believe the lies of Satan and his accusations against us. But Lord, you are our advocate constantly. You are our redeemer. So Jesus, would you fix our minds and our thoughts on the gospel and who we really are and where all of this is going? And would you help us to look to you in this crazy world with so many other standards of goodness and morality. What's right, what's wrong, what's up, what's down, what's right, what's left. Lord, let us just look to you. Jesus, be our guide, be our model, be our example, be our savior. And all the while, may we marvel at our redemption, Lord. May we just live in the reverential fear in all of you. Take our breath away as we realize what we deserve, yet what we've been given. Jesus, the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation, and nothing we could earn. It's a gift. And we have your love. We have your approval because of Jesus' righteousness credited to our hearts. Lord, we are truly amazed. God, forgive us. Help us to repent for ever thinking otherwise. Lord, fix our hearts, our minds our eyes on you forever.